welcome back, folks, for another episode of RF Talk, our Remy Rufalesk podcast where we talk about games, gadgets, and other geeky stuff. This is Chad, along with Alan beside me. Yo. And although Louis is absent for this episode, Rai is coming back for a more, a more gaming goodness topic. What's up, Rai? You know, that. I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone even remember me? Hi, <laughs> Rai, our, our Japanese. You may remember. You may remember him from season one. Our Japanese correspondent, or basically our friend that happens to live in Japan. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Hi. So yeah, uh, what's up, guys? But um, how was your weekend? My weekend was fun. Um, lots of things that happened. Um, what about you guys? Uh, we both, I think both of us attended like pretty big events, right? Yeah, like recently we had the Anime and Cosplay Expo, uh, one of Cosplay.ph's <laughs> events. <laughs> your Mom Expo. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Sorry, your Mom Expo? Oh, what happened no. there? What happened? Uh, uh, so we kind of made a bet on how, which is the, going to be the most popular cosplay. And I immediately said, your warrior from Spy Family. So your mom, as in Y O R, and uh, I, I don't think I was wrong, but there is a close contender from from the Genshin community. It's uh, uh, Yai Miko. Yeah, pink haired maiden thing. It's yeah. hard. It's like who's winning like, <laughs> when yours leading in like for for example two cosplayers, and then suddenly there's three more. Yai Miko suddenly showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would have put my money on your forger as well. But <laughs> and again, I'm not I'm not as well versed in Genshin Impact. Same. Um, I jumped off that boat like very very early. Yeah, I mean the the thing the game is just demanding so much of your time, and I'm like, no no man, I don't I, I don't need a game for a job. I'm fine with Honkers now. So <laughs> Honkers, Honkai Impact. Ah, all right. <laughs> Call it Honkers. Like right, yeah. I, I think you attended like a big concert, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I went to this, to um, the baby's first Japanese idol concert. Yeah. Now, oh, you got his yeah. concert cherry popped. <laughs> yeah, you're not a virgin anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been meaning to do this for years. It's just I haven't ha- really gotten the motivation um, to get it done. Like several years ago, I remember telling you this, uh, Chad. Um, I was with my little brother. My little brother wanted to watch like an AKB48 show. Mm-hmm. So me and him um, travel all the way to Akihabara. Uh, we make it all the way to the AKB theater. We were about to buy the tickets. And mm-hmm. then we kind of backed out. Because my brother saw like all the other guys in there. They were like sweaty middle-aged men. And the lobby of um, the AKB performance hall smelled like a men's locker room like full of like sweaty Ooh, socks oh and shit. no <laughs> so my yes, little brother was like yeah. um right um let's do something else because <laughs> i'm not sure about spending like two three hours in a closed room with this smell like man that's uh, yeah that's okay. so scary like i thought it was a joke but apparently not so much <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean in the end i suppose that was the right call because if you want to watch an idol show, I learned yesterday, you go for the stadium shows, you go for the big dome shows, don't go for the small um, live house shows. because Go, go for the premium. Yeah, <laughs> you go for the premium because like, 
for a stadium show, they go all out. There were, there was pyro, there were like water cannons, there were like moving stages. Damn. There was a fucking train where the, there were moving platforms where these performers would be like dancing end to end of a football field. It was basically like NFL halftime show. Oh, but it's a Super Bowl in Japan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds like you. It sounds like you've gone through like Disney World in four hours. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a four-hour um, Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I yeah, wish I could also attend any idol groups. So now you yeah. got like a different outlook on what idol shows are like. I yeah, I suppose I do. Like, really, I I came into this like. I had a brief idea just because of anime, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I only went here because my girlfriend had tickets. Like she won a lottery. She was a part of the fan club, cause so. Nice. Oh. Um, when you're part of the fan club, you get to you get early dibs on tickets. So she oh. managed to score tickets, and um, her best friend that she she's also a fan of. Uh, or yeah, yeah, her friend is also a fan of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, is in Osaka, so like she didn't want to travel all the way here to watch the show. She just wanted to watch it in Osaka because this is gonna be a tour. It's a, it's this group's um 18 year anniversary. So for like anyone who wants to know, this group is called Kanjani Eito. So Kanjani Eight is um this idol group um managed by Johnny's. Johnny's is like the biggest. Um, male idol management company in Japan. Like, no. um, I think Arashi, I probably, on a, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe it was also Johnny's group. Um, so the whole shtick of Kanjani 8 is they're eight guys. They're all from, um, the Kansai region of Japan. So they're from Osaka. They're from, uh, Kobe. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was someone from Kyoto. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that, that's their whole shtick, basically. Oh, all right. Um, and then it's how you imagine an idol group. One guy can sing, one's the good looking one, one's the funny one. Uh, yeah, it, it was something, man. Um, so you gotta, you kind of got converted into like an idol believer for real, because it sounds <laughs> like you, you did say you, you, you go bigger, you go home when, when it comes to these things. And, uh, based on your description, you went ham big, you know? Well, yeah. Although, it's not so much that I was a big fan of their music, although there were some bangers in there. Um, what really blew me away was, like, the crowd. Ooh. Like, um, yeah, the thing, right? Uh, you, uh, Alan, you said was, like, Wotage. Like, they had the light stick thing, the choreographed movements of that. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Like, Someone plays a song that everyone knows the choreography for. So they do all the motions of like light sticks. Imagine that for like an entire stadium full of people. Like everything top to bottom. Like from the field to the bleachers. Everyone has a light stick and they're they're all moving in unison. Just watching that was absolutely hypnotic. And I want like I would go back just for that, man. Man, yeah, I mean it's kinda like it's kinda like witnessing um uh, a basketball game in in, in UAAP like co- college basketball who cares right or maybe well, you know uh, the cheerleading segment cheer- okay <laughs> maybe the cheerleading segment but you know if you're in the middle of a crowd and the crowd is really like shouting their hearts out 
and like, you get uh, carried by that energy. Oh, uh, damn. Oh, yeah, actually, about uh, about <laughs> shouting your heart out, you're not actually allowed to do that right now because it's COVID. So this is the other thing that no, just really amused me. Um, so there's this, yeah, yeah, because of COVID, you don't want spreading your um, germs around. So people are asked okay. to wear masks, number one. Number mm-hmm. two, they are discouraged from making noise. So you're not Ooh. allowed to shout. You're not allowed to sing along. Um... And, like, what really blew my mind was, like, the entire crowd were, like, absolutely obedient to that. Like, the only instances you would actually hear noise from the crowd is probably, like, if they laugh, if something funny happens, there's, you're going to hear them laugh, of course. Oh, or, yeah, or, like, a um, reaction, right? Yeah, yeah, knee-jerk reactions. Or um, <laughs> if the guys or if the presentation shows them something, like, surprising, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. They zoom in on one of their Oshis and their Oshis, like, do something really like cute like they wink at someone you will hear collective like yeah yeah something like that because they announced like what was their number one song for the year or whatever a best-selling song for um this year that year um so whenever they do announcements like that of course you get like gasps of surprise from everyone's like oh or um, when they announce that they're going to play this especially popular song, of course, everyone's like, oh my god! But, like, apart from that, there is no singing along, there's no, like, crazy fangirling, like, oh, I love you! <laughs> and, like... Man. I mean, uh, if you can't, like, shout out, which is your primary reaction to things that, like, uh, give you awe or surprise you, that's a big-time nerf to a crowd. It's kind of hard. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, but let me get to that. Mm-hmm. So, like, these guys, right, like, during an intermission, they're talking, like, thank you for coming all this way. It's raining really hard. We're so happy the stadium is fully packed. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for celebrating our 18th birthday um, with us. I know that because of COVID, um, we can't, like, really, you can't really speak but I think we hear the voices of your hearts. So, like, please, with the voice of your heart, shout in support of us. And then the entire crowd just, um, instead of shouting, they just extend their light sticks and then they start flailing it really hard. Like, oh, they start shaking so it extra cool. hard. It's like, <laughs> that is their shouting. Nice. Oh. So, like... Like, right, to, uh, no, no, like, right following the beat to the music. Um, yeah, there is the, the the rhythmic swinging of their light sticks, and then when the group like decide um, like asks you to shout, right? They just start shaking the sticks harder, and it's it's crazy. It's it's hypnotic, man. Nice. I think I remember seeing some concert videos before, like how some of the audience are doing those choreographed swings on their light sticks, and it's. It matches with the rhythm of the music that it's so soothing to see. Like, it's like you're watching the Equalizer <laughs> moving. Oh, <laughs> it's super wild. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of these people have these really high tech light sticks that change colors to whatever RGB. Color RGB. The yeah, RGB of light sticks. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's like everyone, man. Like, um, whenever these guys, because these guys represent like different colors, right? Yep. Um, so anytime one of them like has a solo or i don't know during an intermission they have a solo speech you will watch the colors of 
like 95% of the stadium change. Oh, like yeah. suddenly green guy comes up, spotlights on him. Suddenly all the light sticks are like green except mine because <laughs> we don't have like the fancy light sticks. But I think they're selling yeah, yeah. official merch if I remember. Oh yeah, it's official merch. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, it's I remember wild. like there's the light stick tech is there's some that you connect to an app and that app is going to update with the color of the section. Yeah, and that's made. even not even a lightsaber. <laughs> no, that's uh, it, it's not that um it's not that um sophisticated. Like I think it's cuz like the lady beside me had one of those, right? Mm-hmm. It was just a toggle, like one button, so like Oh yeah, it switches like every time you press it. Yeah, yeah, every time you press it just oh, changes lights. colors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's and like because this is like official merch then yeah, of course, yeah. these light sticks only have like the colors of these members. Yeah, the official colors for each of the yeah, members. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Like, most likely, these concerts has merch areas where they sell this. So probably, or maybe as a bundle. Like when you get inside, you would get the free light stick or whatever. Probably, depending. Uh, standard procedure is anymore. Oh. Um, but uh in in the case of this concert most of it were i know um pre-sold online okay oh as far as i understand there was a like there was like a cd um booth like outside in the entrance where you could buy cds Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but like merch like shirts and stuff as far as i know was supposed to be like sold online that way you were were wearing um the shirts by the time you got and even your like your correct sizing yeah, yeah. So wild, yeah. Wild. It's nice. Like, just the you know the efficiency, the the scale of this industry is like staggering. And okay, I kind of get it now. Um, I want to watch K-pop live now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure you're like, gonna do a review for each concert now. <laughs> or like throw me some Japanese idol group that's cool to watch. I have me and my girlfriend have shampoo listed down eventually we will watch shampoo somehow someday wait how hard is it to get tickets we have talking about it we have not worked very hard in securing them simply because we can't find the time to work it out at the moment there's too much stuff happening right now for me to um commit to a date currently but next time yeah next time hopefully like oh, yes. I, I would love to sh- just watch <laughs> another show there <laughs> all right so i guess that's rise journey into idol groups now uh, i start to appreciate a lot of uh, concert performance now yeah and that kind of group they they got they got that kind of following that's that dedicated for like so long right? yeah it's like that's an, amazing a really decades old tradition for uh idol fans mm-hmm. like how they would behave how they would interact or like there's this sudden like there's standard of rules or unwritten rules on on idol groups and how you would interact like yeah. oh. it's it's amazing um i mean like i said it was the 18th anniversary of this group yeah so yeah. It, it, it's a testament to just how well the agency system works in japan like mm-hmm. this agency just keeps the group relevant it's tv appearances it's live shows like these mm-hmm. um it's the constant rollout of music as well uh for them to really like have a career that lasted this long it's amazing mm. 
I mean, we've heard of all the bad shit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But um, how this industry just eats people alive and then chews them up, spits yeah. them out. But yeah, for the ones that actually <laughs> make it, for the ones that actually hang on, yeah, um, it seems like a career you could actually um, hang on to till retirement, right? Yeah, like a life-changing career is like something they would carry on. After, even probably after they retire, they might get you know bigger positions yeah. like managers or producers in the yeah. future. Yeah, most idols or, like, or idols, they don't really last that long. Maybe a few years. Yeah, like probably three to four three years. Three to four years. Like even it's Love Live and Anime. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, yeah. With some female groups, especially the younger leaning ones like AKB, of course you graduate <clears throat> after hitting a certain age, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're done in the industry. Like most of these graduates do um, leverage um, their celebrity into different careers. Like yeah. some may go into acting, for example, or modeling, or yep. A solo music career, for example. Uh, I can't really cite any examples from AKB, for example. Um, because I, I really don't follow this. But from what I have seen, there are like former idols, right? That go into acting. Like there are some tokusatsu idols that came out of boy bands, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, so there are people like that. Um, they stop being idols, but their careers are... Um, move evolve, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, there are lifer groups. It seems like like this one where you could just keep going because, like, yeah, your audience <clears throat> does not perceive you as just this teenage pretty boy um group, right? I think the appeal is also that they grow up with you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's oh, pretty okay. nice. Yeah. yeah, I guess there's that ageless thing. There's ti- this timeless yeah. thing, and you know what yeah. else like uh, gets like doesn't really tarnish even with age. Retro games. Oh yeah, retro games. Oh, that's a nice segue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was almost gonna add about mentioning Gak. <laughs> and then Alan just made a G- smooth you know segue what else now. Age. You know what? You know what else doesn't age? Gacked. Gacked. <laughs> actually, yes. That man never aged, and he has his own guitar. Uh, I mean, uh, Zaku, he talked acts as a guitar. And, uh, Square Enix gave him eternal youth so that yes. they would release um, and also he's like, <laughs> Yeah, he also plays some roles in Kamen, in Kamen Rider, and like, yeah, pretty badass characters. And then he's uh, Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gacked. Love so, him. Yeah. You know what's also timeless? <laughs> Aside from Gak? Retro games. <laughs> Swing back to retro games. I, I, I'm sorry. Every time you go you go to, you know what else? Never ages poorly. What? It's like, I, I'm waiting for someone to hit, like, Rage Shadow Legends. <laughs> oh, we're not sponsored yet. Not yeah. sponsored. Someday. Or, I don't know. Someday. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's the kind of segue where you lean into your... Um, with your sponsor ads yeah and it just seems like it it just lends itself to that but yeah we're not a sponsored show so uh right retro games sure uh unless you know minute burger could sponsor us all right so uh first of all we when we brought this up we kind of argued what retro games are because uh i qualified ps3 as retro yeah well technically something that is already sees its production 
and something that like for example if this certain generation has online support like servers or sort of like a PSN you know online store and it already sees its operations like several years now like probably three or four and I suppose all... you could say um, any dis- distribution channels if like official distribution channels have halted right yeah. um, it qualify it as that yeah anything that's halted all of its production from software uh, hardware peripherals everything even for so uh even you could say even with, with main uh what do you call this uh customer service customer support for repairing your units like phasing out all this uh all these spare parts or something yeah so it are could we count. On, are, are we, this is, is this hardware because are there games that are kind of uh developed in retro style that you know like uh holo cure or uh vampire survivors yeah i mean uh, those kind of stuff are more like uh, tribute. Retro-inspired, I would yeah, say. Yeah, inspired. Or maybe a homage to classic games, like pixel art games, uh, games with pixel art, art directions, or, you know, um, like Teenage Mutant Shredder's Revenge. Like, it's a classic yeah. beat-em-up. It's more of a homage rather than being a, a retro game or a remaster or something. Yeah. Considering how we're talking, we're defining it, I'm, I have to come to terms with the idea that Metal Gear Solid Three is probably retro. It's almost <laughs> retro. Like, <laughs> okay. uh, I guess you could say maybe a couple of years or maybe another generation we, before we could consider like the PS3 as retro or officially retro. Probably some people are already claiming it as already a retro generation now, but at least at this rate, it's like. In, an incoming retro game, a <laughs> retro right, generation. So I guess, I guess the term is kind of hazy. Like, right, right? Do you have like anything to you might want to add to how we I do have a question? Like, I don't know. In relation to the PS3, is the PS3 um, PSN store at, still available? If I remember correctly, I think they extended it because they extended it. Okay. Yeah, I think they extended the PSP and Vita. If I remember. Because people okay. complained after Sony announcing the shutdown of the servers for the PSN yeah. on PSP oh, yeah, and that, Vita. Yeah. So I would say, you know, um, under our definition of like distribution channel ceasing, um, yeah, PS3 is probably and PS Vita is on the verge of qualifying for that. But yeah. currently, since um, there is still a channel of distribution that's official, which is the PSN store. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one could consider it still active. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact forever. that it's like two generations <laughs> old at this point. Yeah, I guess some multiplayer servers are still active. So I guess we could say it's a retro yet. Yeah, I suppose. <clears throat> I guess. So, yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's kind of a hazy term. But, yeah, it's kind of uh, hazy. But I think the general swing at it is the game is old enough that uh, it's not actually being sold commercially by its original publisher. Maybe, I mean they're still being sold by the original publisher. So I would say, um, how I mean, there is a clear definition of what current gen is, right? So mm-hmm. like I would just qualify a retro console as a console that's not like the current gen. I would say, mm-hmm. um, I mean, some are, would be more retro than others, which means some would be less accessible than others, but. The common thread for previous gen consoles would be that um, access, I suppose, access yeah, to, I know, um, 
accessibility to these um, consoles and to their software um, mm-hmm. are not nearly as easy to um, find as they used to be. Yeah, like if you go to any retail stores and there are like any available copies of certain PS3 games or uh, Xbox 360 games, perhaps we could say that's still uh, non-retro, I guess? Yeah. And, uh, well, you, now you can find like the ultra retro stuff, like the Nintendo Classic, the PS1 yeah. Classic. Or maybe something that we could say uh, this certain console is old enough to apply for a job. <laughs> like the PS2. Well, that, that does exclude <laughs> things like the DS, for example. Yeah. Or 3DS, even. Because, mm-hmm. you know, um, there is this one thing I realized. Um, I still have my 3DS. Uh, uh, because I'm still trying to finish Persona Q2, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I am. I I plan to finish Seventh Dragon. I also wanted to finish Alliance Alive there until the Switch version came out. Um, so when I was playing that, and uh, I realized like there were some titles on the 3DS that I don't have that I do want to get. So I accessed the Nintendo Store and realized um, this title like for reference is Tales of the Abyss is oh, not available for digital download. Yeah, it doesn't have a uh, eShop version or the G- Yeah, it doesn't have an eShop version, yeah. So, my whole thinking there was, okay, um I can look for it on Amazon. Super expensive on Amazon. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I remember seeing a copy of this in a Data Blitz or in a shop in Green Hills. It, yeah. when I go to the Philippines, I can probably find it. So, mm-hmm. I go to the I went to the Philippines in Golden Week. That was April, late April, um, to early May this year. I go to Green Hills. I go to Data Blitz. They don't have a 3DS section anymore. Yeah, uh, I go to these other smaller stores, hoping to see someone still sell like 3DS cartridges. Because man, um, you can't just. I, I assume they couldn't have just sold everything out, right? No. The- Probably during sales, or maybe they just they just faulted, and then they'll just release it like during special Christmas sales. Yeah, so like I just didn't see anyone selling these anymore. So suddenly, I no longer have any form of access to the 3DS version of Tales of the Abyss, which yeah. I do want a copy of I'm because also, I didn't finish it. I'm also wishing I could get a copy, like. I remember seeing a lot of Tales of Abyss of the Abyss in Data Blitz or in Game One, like a grand for a yeah. copy, and then I missed the yeah, chance right? to actually purchase it. Oh, <laughs> it was dirt. Fun. It was dirt cheap, yeah, but man. I kept, like passing it up because look, um, I played this in PS2. Like I just didn't finish it. Like I have time. Uh, I I don't have time to play this right now. Um. And it didn't seem like something I wanted to go back to. But, like, over time, right, Mm -hmm. I'm playing more Tales games. And I've been seeing how wildly different they they have been, right? Tales of the Abyss, to me, was, like, the safe time in my past. I guess it was the most familiar incarnation of the Tales series to me. (laughs) um, Before things got really different. Like, Mm -hmm. it was... The closest thing to like Tales of Destiny, Tales of Eternia, oh, yeah. which were the the two particular Tales titles, um, <laughs> I really got into like a long time ago. Same. 
I think they I mean, I love like their first uh, full 3D combat title. Well, not I'm really. Not sure. uh, I think their other game I think was Tales of Symphonia. Okay, the first good oh, yeah, yeah. 3D combat. Game. Okay, all right. <laughs> that was good. What are you talking about? Symphonia was good. Uh, yeah, the second one was horrible. <laughs> the one on the Wii. Oh yeah, I think like the follow up for Symphonia. Yeah, that was horrible. But <laughs> okay. yeah, so like. I want to finish this game, but just, there is no economical way to access it anymore. Yeah, unless you have to cheat your way with, you know, uh, emulation, which is another interesting topic with retro games. But I think before we discuss about this part, I think it's a good time we ask ourselves which particular retro game is our favorite and maybe retro consoles as well. Like, Alan, how about you? Okay, this is going to be a weird answer for me because uh, the, I've been recently... Uh, I somehow ran into an hour-long essay about Zone of the Enders. And like, I want to play Zone of the Enders. Oh, no, it's on just PS2. No, there's an HD remaster on PS3. PS3, I don't have that anymore, right? And then, uh, so I looked into it more. There's a remaster again for... But that was done by uh, Shy Games. It's, uh, it's Zone of the Enders Mars. And it's also on the PC. Yeah, on Steam. Yeah, so... I think I saw this essay. So, was this the entire, like, series retrospective, including, like, the anime and the Game and Boy the, type? And the Game Boy Advance game, which I never <laughs> knew existed. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, there's an anime? What, what, yeah, what, it has. Why, why, yeah, did, there why was, did I not was. know about this? Like, there was no way. Like, there, there was yeah. not an anime. There were two animes. Oh, wow. <laughs> the anime was like super, super different in tone from the two games. So I kind of just slept on it. Um, I don't know if you missed much. I don't know. It's, watching watching a giant robot act like a little girl found, sounds like entertainment to me. <laughs> oh, no, Alan. Sounds down. like Cracked Alan. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, like... Uh, so my, my favorite retro would probably be PS1 and 2 because that's where the bulk of my game my younger gaming years are. Mm-hmm. That's uh you know Crash Bandicoot, Final Fantasy Tactics uh and well Zone of the Enders cuz 2 because it's it's a it's a banger. It's just a banger. Yeah. What about you, Rai? Um I would have said PlayStation 1 like Alan. Uh Simply because, yes, formative years, a lot of games I loved were in there. Uh, I did realize, however, that... Um, how do I say? I would not touch in most of those games on like a home console format ever again. Oh, uh, yeah, makes sense. Huh? I suppose... Um, uh, the format of like a home console TV controller and all of that. Oh. Uh, it's not something I would do. Like, I don't know. Um, it, I, I think it's a mindset kind of thing where I want to, when you sit down in front of a console to play something, it's like you, it's a time commitment to do something. And I feel like retreading is not how I would want to do it. Like, if I wanted to retread something, it's something I would like to do um, on the go, I suppose, if I were on the train, on a plane, or whatever. Because if I am commuting 
I prefer to play something I'm familiar with, right? I, that doesn't mm -hmm. need my full attention. So when I'm on the train, I can do a replay of Suicoden 2 or Chrono Cross. I don't want to be playing, um, I don't know, Elden Ring on the go. Okay, fair uh, enough. Because if, if you played it before, you, you kind of don't need to pay as much attention anymore. So yeah, you'd rather so, use your downtime that you can't really do anything else to play a retro game. I understand mm, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, when I'm at home, I'm sitting in front of my PC or in front of a TV, I would, like, try. I would prefer to, like, have something that um, I could pour my full attention into. Uh, like, you know, it's a commitment of time already, so I just want to sink into something like new all right i get it i mean that that's kind of my same argument why i would prefer a console what rather than gaming on a pc because starting a game is something i want to be able to set apart from anything else like the fact that i can alt tab into another task while gaming is uh that's kind of that's a temptation that makes me it's an added distraction actually yeah it's an added distraction and yeah. nothing gets done the the progress on the game is barely there and the progress on anything else i forget and i lose track of everything yeah yeah that's that said weird. though um that said like so console wise yeah um ps1 was very formative for me but if there was like a retro game that i like going back to constantly it would be like chrono trigger and that's that's the thing, right? Um, Chrono Trigger has come out in so many mediums at this point. Like it came out on the Super NES before, on the first time. It came out on PlayStation One after, and it came out on mobile and PC after that. Mm -hmm. And then there was the the DS one. Oh, yeah. So I have a cartridge of the DS version, and I do go back to that like yearly to, to do a playthrough of it. Um, not so much lately though. Um, just haven't had. The downtime, I suppose. Like, I feel like there's too much else going on. But yeah, that that used to be a tradition for me. <clears throat> and yeah, I think the DS was just the perfect um, platform for it. Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, well, for me, uh, yeah, still the PS One. It's something like a defining moment for me, like a good introduction for RPGs and other stuff. But the other console that really made me start into gaming is, or properly into gaming, is the Sega Genesis. So, it's something that, it's it has that nostalgic feel, so it makes me really appreciate those games. And I think I realized that I had didn't manage to play some of the games from the Genesis and even in the Mega Drive version, so I think it's a good opportunity for me to, to try them. Like... Um, after I purchased the Sega Genesis Mini, a classic, the the new retrofied console by Sega, where they, I think they select fifty games or forty games, uh, classic Genesis games, and I managed to play some of those games that I never knew it existed. Like there's like this Zelda clone, uh, I think Always is something, that's really fun to play, and then, uh, I realized how different fantasy star was from what i used to know now with fantasy star online and then a lot of stuff it's weird way different yeah way different like it's more you would feel more medieval rather than being sci-fi because how the battle system works like yeah. it follows the, the old school system on turn base and then 
a lot of stuff. And I think the one retro game that I would really love to play or probably my favorite is Streets of Rage 2. It's something that... It's a Streets of Rage guy. Yeah. You know, uh, I had this conversation with a friend of mine when we were playing, like, Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. Like, which was your um, formative side-scrolling beat-em-up? <laughs> like, for him, it was Ninja Turtles, right? Oh, yeah. Um, for me, it was, like, Final Fight. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because my first, like, side-scrolling beat-em-up beat was, like, Final Fight for the NES. Oh, yeah, like, the first one? I had one of those. I think it was, yeah. And then I got Final Fight 3 on my Super NES before. So, yeah. Um, and then I have, like, friends who would say it's, like, Ninja Turtles for them. For the Sega guys, it's Streets of Rage. Um, For, like, my older cousins, it's, like, Double Dragon or something. Oh, yeah, on the NES. Funny yeah. thing that I also played Ninja Turtles, like, the first one. Not the Ultra Games. Yeah. Uh, I played the NES port of the TMNT arcade game. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, my proper introduction to beat em ups. But Streets of Rage had this, uh, I guess that's something simply, uh, memorable for me. Like, I love the music. I love how easygoing with the, com- the, the gameplay. Like, movements are smooth, controls are responsive. Uh,. You could enjoy your pacing because how, like, depending on difficulty you would choose, like, you would enjoy it or you might actually appreciate with another friend tagging along with you, finishing the game, and then it's a little classic beat-em-up. Like, also the music and, like, something else. Like, I think that's what also made me appreciate on EDMs and house music. For me, I don't think I really uh, got a beat em up on the console. So when it comes to that kind of genre, I was really more of an arcade kid. Or did you just beat up your console? I did beat up. No, I did not. No, no, no. My mom beat up my console. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I for me, it's going to be like X Men. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, I think it's called Children of the Atom. Oh, was it, was it the fighting game or the beat em up? The beat em up. Oh yeah, uh, the X Men. I think that's that's where the pilot episode of the other X Men animated series was based on. Yeah, you, you with, fight against Magneto. Yeah, we came the, before that. It came before the animated series. I think it came after. I think like ah oh, wait the oh yeah yeah because it says nineteen ninety two here like yeah the the cartoons came out when ninety three ninety two or ninety three like it's a pilot episode. They're trying to see how people are interested with X-Men. Before Uncanny X-Men appeared, like two years later. Okay. Yeah, X-Men, the arcade game. I think Children of the Atom was the fighting yeah, game. Yeah, it was a fighting game from Capcom. Oh, okay. The arcade game, like, uh, how many Konami. years? Was it six from Konami? You have yeah. Iceman, Colossus, Dazzler, Cyclops, Wolverine. I guess that's five. Yeah. Nightcrawler, that's six. This is definitely before the cartoons because, oh, yeah. like, it was before the Jim Lee costumes, it looks uh, yeah. like. But, yeah, before Uncanny X-Men, like, there was an, a yeah. pilot episode for X-Men where they introduced Kitty Pride, and then you have this Aussie Wolverine. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, like, Wolverine has an Australian accent. I thought the first character... They so that was, was foreshadowing Wolverine. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's then, wild. Uh, the, the, the opening music was catchy, though. Like, 
after watching it for the first time. It oh yeah, was I nice. mean, it was catchier than the '93 opening. Yeah, like it's, it's like an old school '90s, 90s or '80s cartoons opening. Like there are lyrics and you know, it's like they're summarizing the plot or how you know on X Men how the, the X Men was. And so then, it's kind of like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme yeah, song. Yeah, sort of like, like that. Street Sharks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Street Sh- Oh, man, that takes me back. <laughs> Those kind of stuff. So, yeah, we went yeah. way <laughs> way retro now, like, even with the, uh, with the cartoons and some okay. stuff. But, yeah, at least yeah. we know, like, what our appeals and our specific console favorites. Man, those arcades and their busted buttons. And you only oh, yeah. find out after starting the game. I hate it. I need a, a seg into one more game now that I think about it. I have never finished this game and I really want to step back into it. Um, have you guys ever played like Metal Warriors on Super NES? I think I've, I've seen that before. Oh no. Yeah. Wait, you've seen it before, but you haven't played it. I can't remember if I did play it. or I. What I about you, to... Alan? Wait, what was the game? Mid- Metal Mid- Warriors. Was it the beat-em-up? Or... Metal Warriors, is this the one that had like giant mechs? Um... This is a game by Konami, published by Konami, developed by Lucas Arts. Yes, it is about mechs. Um, it's a side-scrolling um, mech yeah, shoot, it, shooting was it kind game. Of like King of the Monsters. Oh wait, I think I saw this. I oh, actually... it's actually kind of like Castlevania-like in its stage structure. Like mm-hmm. it's not linear le- um, left to right. Um, oh. And then it's wild because the it did something that was something I've just never seen before. Like, you add your mech, you start your your game flying this mech. Um, oh, when you, yeah, I, I think I when you press this. the select button, your pilot gets off the mech, right? Because there are rooms uh-huh. that are only accessible with your like pilot only. It's like Blaster Master. Like you could dismount from your tank and then yeah, the new level happens. Your tank, and <clears throat> there are opportunities to like board other mechs. Oh yeah, you can like steal other mechs and then yeah, it is ringing some bells, but I can't remember what it looks like. And like there is a, there is a one v one, um, versus mode also. Mm-hmm. So like you can pick your mech. So each there's a mech that turns into a ball. There's a mech that just flies. It has oh. like eight directional shooting. Um, one mech is melee only, but has really good mobility. Um. Yeah, it was wild, and yeah, it was one of those games also where the parts were destructible. Although I could really never figure out how mm. or if there was any determinant or if it was totally random, uh, which part gets blown up. Essentially, you get to a point where you lose all body, uh, you lose all your weapons. So your only way of winning is maybe finding a different mech to get uh. on. I don't know if there was a thing like that in versus mode. It looks. It looks like it also came out on the SNES, but yeah, it was an SNES. Yeah, yeah, it was SNES. Man, I don't, so, yeah, I don't I remember. I might try I this. I think I, I tried downloading this because I never owned an SNES uh, <laughs> in the most illegal way. <laughs> Since I don't have a copy of Battle Warriors, legit. Yeah, it's fine. Man. Um, I just I one of my cousins had it, and hmm. I kept borrowing it. <laughs> so yeah, it was so fun. But yeah, I never finished it. Like, mm. I, I just didn't have enough time to finish it. Uh, I mean, there were no save states. 
Uh, oh, wow, that's rough. It was password-based. I, I oh, forgot. Yeah. Old really. school passwords. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just never finished it like on the Super NES, but I'm going to have to put that on my list. Yeah. Maybe finish it this year or something. They're actually kind of curious, like, how would people see the appeal with retro games? Like, what could be the reasons behind, for example, trying out older games instead of, you know, uh, going with the newer ones? Like, I've seen a lot of, uh, no, not really a lot, or some groups who are more into retro games, like, they prefer to play more of the classics instead of trying out the newer ones. Hmm, Say right. it's for about the same reasons as I enumerated. Well, wh- that would be one of my reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't finish this when I was younger. I would like the opportunity to finish it, you know, enjoy it again, and then just see parts of it I never saw when I was playing it before. That would be number one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, number two would be like, I did not hear about this game when I was younger. Right, like mm-hmm. with Alan, he's never heard of Metal Warrior, so yeah. now it's his opportunity to try it. Yeah. Um, or I have stream it on. <laughs> yeah, or on YouTube, um, I found this one video of a game. Uh, let me check the title. Um, it's a fighting game. It's for it's for arcade. Um, its whole gimmick is like your joystick instead of being on the left is on the right, mm-hmm. and then your buttons are on your left side because. On the left side, you only have two buttons, which is to walk left or right. And then your attack, all your attack input is done by joystick. So it's kind I, of like... I remember something like this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like Fight Night in that way where mm-hmm. attacks are um, controlled by joystick. Ah, uh, there. Um, Buriki 1 by okay. SNK. Ah. So this was... This came out like 1999 or 2000, probably. Mm, interesting. Um, the art... The character art is gorgeous. It's like the main character is like a rip of Baki the Grappler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's most of the art is by the artist um, behind God. Um, I would say like Garu, Mark of the Wolves for one. Um, and yeah, um, you the entire premise of the fight is like it's a big MMA tournament. In the early days of MMA, where um, you had like a strictly karate type fighter, a strictly sumo type fighter, a Greco Roman wrestler. Okay, I could see. And that. then they're fighting in like a ring. It's it's mm. interesting. Um, and the karate practitioner is actually Ryo Sakazaki from um, Art of Fighting and King oh, of wow. Fighters. <laughs> so yeah, I. I yeah, that's what SNK does. Yeah. If I could actually get my hands on this somehow, on a cabinet or some way to play this, I would love it so much. Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of like uh, fighters, like I guess this my one one of my favorite fighting games would be considered retro, and I could explain why I would play that over uh, the more recent versions, and that is called Guilty Gear Accent Core, uh, Sharp Reload Slash. It has a very long title. <laughs> That that Guilty Gear Accent Core game. That, <laughs> that particular. Yeah, ECR+. <laughs> uh, now, the reason I would prefer playing this is because the more recent iterations, such as uh, Exerd and Strive, 
they're designed in consideration for newer generations of players, like younger players, so that's it's more accessible. So in the most insane level of gameplay, in terms of input, at the very least input, is something you'll find in the older version. So just the mere fact that it can handle that level of gameplay, that level of, uh, I guess, APM, you know, <laughs> inputs, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that really appeals to me. And there's also the fact of familiarity that I know how exactly the rhythm of this combo goes. I know exactly the strategies that I can use with this character. Uh, learning the intricacies of a fighting game is very time-consuming, right? So I kind of don't want to let go of that, inf- uh, that knowledge. And at the same time, the freedom and the older design is something that really appeals to me. So I would play the older fighting game over the newer ones unless uh, I'm trying to introduce new people to the game. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of reasons why some, some like, for example, some prefer re- retro games like they prefer certain gameplay experience or maybe more simplistic approach. Like, I guess it's more of a subjective taste rather than, you know, uh, proper criteria. Like, maybe some certain people would love more of a simplistic approach in gameplay, something that is, you know, straightforward. They don't want any complexity, like, in the newer games right now. And I think that's why some some other indie games are making homage to classic classic games like for example platformers like they know certain audience are into this like they want something that is more straightforward or maybe something of a certain formula that is that's that works really well but they could still innovate all right i'm gonna insert a disclaimer right here right now <clears throat> i am not gonna wish upon the people i hate the most playing <laughs> through a bridge level of crash bandicoot one all right so just just so you know like there are it's it's not it's not all uh, rainbows and unicorns in the retro game space. There are some <clears throat> things that are pretty unreasonable. So oh, just yeah. those, I, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's how I feel about most of the games on PS One. Like there were games that made me feel and enjoy things in yeah. that platform, but like tell me to touch. Uh, uh, let me think. Brave Fencer Musashi again. Oh yeah. And I'm not sure I would enjoy it as much anymore. Yep. Oh, I don't know. I love Brave Fencer I mean, Musashi. I mean, Brave Fencer was fun, but the controls or maybe how it was... I mean, the concept was good. Maybe okay, the, the execution rough. was rough. The controls are rough. All right. Yeah. Oh, the, for its time, I loved it. I, I yeah, enjoyed same. it. Like, it may have been one of the few games I actually tried my best to 100%. And I did. Um, Saving all of yeah. the Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude. Um, like I had, I didn't buy these game magazines before, but I had like one which I got from my cousin. I had a walkthrough of that, like how to get everyone, how to do everything. Mm-hmm. So I had that. I followed it. Um, I one hundred percented that game. Like I and I enjoyed it, like all of it. But um, I don't know if it was if it's something I would go back to again. But I haven't actually given it a chance yet. And please, for for yeah. the love of everything, um, do not play the remake on PS2. <laughs> no. Uh, no, no, was it a oh, remake? I thought it was a remake. Like a I thought it was a sequel. sequel. Yeah, was it a sequel? I don't know. It was a sequel because it, the art was redone, um, the soundtrack was totally different. It was a different story. I didn't finish it either because my disc broke. Okay, Good. and yeah, just didn't enjoy the action quite as much. 
I think there's some some games like I would still play over and over again, like despite how many generations has passed. Like, for example, Vagrant Story. I think that's one of the I think games that age a bit well. Not maybe in terms of some aspects in gameplay, like camera controls or the menu system, which is still a pain to play. Like, whenever you try to upgrade your weapons to get higher affinity for the certain race. But the art direction, the cinematography was one of the kind at that time. And even playing it again still has that appeal that really aged well. Like, really a fine aged wine, I guess. I wish I... I actually want to try Vagrant Story again because... um, I, I mean, I love... Like the Ivalice setting, like yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics: War of the Lions, the Return to Ivalice series on Final Fantasy fourteen. Just really, I I loved. Yeah, I like Return the to Ivalice on FF fourteen. The Leamon um, uh, setting, right? Uh, like this, yeah. certain city. Yeah, I mean, I I played Vagrant Story when I was much younger, and I really did not appreciate the combat and the complexity of the upkeep of the weapons. And yeah so on I, I didn't understand it like uh, the game did a poor job of really walking you through yeah everything it sucks um, at explaining some aspects of the game like yeah maximizing so, your risk <laughs> so when i first had it i just really didn't understand it and just set it aside yeah so now that i'm older and i understand a little bit more how it worked i would like to give it another try yeah same like i remember playing this when i was still in high school like i still have confusions how i would play the game like after five or eight hours into the game i didn't realize that you could change your combos after your first attack (laughs) like i always thought it's like a two-hit combo and then you have to reset it and i realized that you can chain it with different commands like you just check the timing and how the animation would work in each attack and then after <laughs> I think after I got lost in a certain area where you need to map it out like uh, snowfield something kind of forest like it's a maze and it resets if you do a wrong turn and I think I got kind of got tired of it and then set it aside after completing that area and then a few years later, in college, I managed to finish the game and actually experienced the new game plus where I found that certain weapon that you that I wish I could get, like the from the final boss thingy, and yeah, it was all worth it. So yeah, so a lot of experience. I don't even think I got that far. So I think it took me around sixty hours or something. True. And I try to grind to max out the affinity against demons and dark elements, which is, which actually makes it easier to beat the later levels, especially into the final boss. And like I stick with my starting weapon, and still use the same design weapon up to the final boss. So yeah. speaking of games, I do want to go back to like over and over. I want to know. Um, I want to play Power Stone again. Ooh, oh, shit. Damn. <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, okay. Arcade World. Yes. Yeah, I wish we I wish we could do multiplayer. Or maybe uh, Capcom would re-release this. Yeah. Get a local not? multiplayer on the Switch. Yeah. Or there is... 
I remember shouting no. that out when during the SF6 like uh, tr- uh, mm-hmm. announcement, and then then they saw the free world thing. Oh, oh, look, they're gonna do Power Stone three. <laughs> <laughs> there is like what game right now is out that actually still emulates the Power Stone style? Uh, the Battle one, Royale. There was a One Piece brawler, right? <laughs> Which Sorry, one? Anyway. Battle Royale. No, like uh, Battle Royale's kind of. Kind of seen like an uh, uh, an evolved version of that, like a large scale Power Stone. Wait, what battle royale? That's like the no, genre. I mean the, the genre. The genre. The genre. Oh no! I mean like something that actually controls and plays like Power Stone, right? Where you have this closed arena mm-hmm. that you know um, changes over the course of the match, and you have four players like just trying to off each other, and like all mm. these props in the stage. That you can that use to f- accomplish that goal. Sounds a lot like Smash. No, I mean, um, I mean, Smash. Smash's format is like a side-scrolling. Yeah, um, okay, okay. It's more con- contained compared with Power Stone. It's, it's open ended, like yeah. And we have more areas to explore. Yeah, and the fun part about Power Stone is the boss battles. Oh yeah, I remember that. Like there are some certain boss, like For I think the Sphinx yeah. one. Yeah, the the, e- the Egyptian robot thing. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like, the Egyptian robot. That was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, just, you know, it was a 3D arena. So there was a lot more movement compared to Smash. At yeah, like free roaming. Was, yeah, it was free roaming. Um, and yeah, the items were actually... Well, I mean, the items in Smash were fun. It's just... <laughs> I guess the free roaming nature of um, Power Stone just generated a lot more... Party game chaos, you would say. Yeah, I, I guess, guess. Yeah, because there, there's a, it's a three D space to move around in. It's more mayhem, so it's more. I guess people who are, you know, not much into fighting games or maybe Smash like gameplay can just enjoy. And I would, it. Yeah, and I would say the combat is actually not very complicated. Like, was there actually a character you could you would consider like overpowered, or aren't no, they all really. just? You know, I, I'm they, like they're so one note. Like I recall, you could basically play anyone you wanted there because the game was all about just trying to get the three power stones because that would be the most effective way of winning. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like that. beat each other up, and then a power stone comes up, and then you just, just try just to get it. to the stone, or yeah, nab the stone, or beat someone, beat the stones out of someone else, right? Yeah, I can remember seeing a lot of people playing at Time Zone before when there's like a cabinet for the Power Stone. Like there are yeah. connected like four con uh, four cabinets, and then people just you know sit in then just to mayhem. Yes, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. the senseless fun of like playing with a bunch of people like that. It's just, um, I miss that. Yeah, and yeah, I just haven't found an experience like that. In recent titles, it's been a while. Although I believe someone said there was a One Piece title that was kind of like that. It's just you know, um, oh, One neither. Piece, how was it? Was fit? it? Yeah, there I was, but I, I don't remember. know. I didn't know there was a title like that. One, I can't even remember the name of it. And two, I never really followed One Piece, so yeah, I'm I, not into One Piece as well. So it's pretty much we missed out that game. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's a recent one or probably few generations now. Yeah. Plus, you know, thematically, Power Stone was just unique. It was oh, yeah. Age of Exploration themed. So you had, like, the British um, 
explorer, right? With his yeah. biplane, and then um, what else? Like the Native American, which is just at this point a horrible stereotype, sure, but you know. <laughs> that's the point, um, though. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, Jack the Ripper that looked like a mummy, and <laughs> like the Middle Eastern girl is this belly dancer. Yeah, the most stereotype America in, in any Capcom game. You know, I, th- I think I can figure out why. I have a guess as to why Power Stone never was translated to like uh, future consoles or whatever because uh, cabinets back then they were they had dedicated hardware to be able to pull off whatever they're doing. Right. Yeah, like a certain uh, era of arcade cabinets has certain uh, motherboards. Motherboards. Yeah. Like Naomi for Sega, and then I forget what's the name for Capcom, like CP two something. CP2, yeah. CP two, CP three. And uh, I, like I experienced this very uh, thoroughly with fighting games, uh, like CVS two stuff like that. Mm. Like they just mm-hmm. don't translate well on PS one. There's lots of loading time. Yeah. Project Justice. I think at that time, like. Arcades were still the superior tech yeah. for some games, and uh, much more powerful. Yeah, and porting certain games in during those generation of consoles is a tough challenge. Like, it doesn't perform well. Like, optimization is really poor. Loading times are longer. Yeah, and you you think that as the generations like uh, went forward, that uh, being able to play these older games wouldn't be a problem, and I had so much faith. In the re- in the in the PS3 version of Mega Man X4, and uh, that that was a rough ride. PS3, PS3. So they had like a collection, Mega Man X collection. Okay. Right. So this it, it kind of is retro, it's SNES, and then you go to PS3. It, you know, it turns out that how they did this is all right. The PS3 will now do a virtual machine of a PS1. Oh yeah. And then that will run the game. So it's like you got uh, you got into your car, you got a controller, you got the controller to manipulate the wheel of your car, <laughs> and that's how you drove. So uh, that kind of pissed me off because uh, mm-hmm. games back then, especially Mega Man X, is very like uh, it's it has very rapid input. It has you have mm-hmm. to be able to respond very quickly, and for that reason, I was very disappointed with the emulation, and that's why I, I like. Is there a better way to play this game? And apparently there's like hardware dedicated to playing older games. Like what you showed me a while ago. Mm. Like can you tell me more about that? Because <laughs> I was like, that exists? Okay. <coughs> yeah. Like, <clears throat> uh, I remember trying the PSN version of Vagrant Story on the PS3. <clears throat> and even with the PSP, like there are performance drop in terms of <clears throat> certain areas. Like for example... When you try shifting to the first-person view, like pressing select, if I remember, the frame rate would be really low. Like, the animation from the transition would be very choppy. And you would see, like, the performance is really bad. Or the optimization or emulation was pretty bad on the PSN version. But if you try the, I guess, the PS1 emulated version, like, you hop, you pop in the disc for Bacon Story, and let the PS3 emulate it. It was pretty smooth. So there are some things that it's hard to emulate, or in some cases, porting has issues that doesn't translate well with other consoles, even like newer generations, which is a problem with most developers nowadays when they try to 
relaunch classic games because they know the appeal with retro games as a lot of people are now like investing or collecting the older titles like for you know nostalgia moments or maybe they just want to have a piece of their collection so game developers or publishers now know that there's a certain interest and then they try to re-release classic games but in some cases the big the big problem here is most of the source codes are long gone and spaghetti yeah or something that is impossible to recode again for newer programs which makes them decide to do an emulation sheet like they're trying to emulate uh, the older games from their old source code or something or old copy and then they try to do some improvements to make it more cleaner for yeah. HD. All right. The both of you, both of you guys, you have like background on some level of coding, right? So uh, it sounds like they're adding more and more moving parts to a machine. <laughs> How yeah. does that, is, is this a, that doesn't sound like a good idea. What do you think, right? Um, I think the problem with like most official consoles doing these um, retro console supports, uh, at least previous generations, uh, I haven't touched like efforts made recently. I, I think the problem with the um, previous versions are that the hardware wasn't really made to support it. Mm-hmm. One, it was either the hardware wasn't really made to support um, emulation that effectively. Or the software um, was like lazily put together. Yeah. Uh, like I would say, I don't know. The PSP is not particularly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have to code the game a specific way for it to run uh, without the without problems. I would say. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, to try to run a game that wasn't specifically built for that platform would. I I imagine, okay, because I haven't actually done it myself, um, involves a lot of actions, I believe, that would demand the hardware to bend over backwards to get it to work, mm-hmm. I suppose, to, to operate in a manner it's not supposed to operate. Uh, I, I imagine, okay, um, I'm speculating at this point whether or not I, I'm, I'm right. Um, that is one possibility. The other is yes, um, you are attempting to lift code made from a game that's old into you know, um, hardware it wasn't coded for. Um, that sounds it like involves a lot of work, right? Yeah, it, it, it involves time and manpower that some studios may not be too keen on. Uh, exerting effort on like they yeah. have so many other things going on. Um, they don't want to spend too much time and money um, working on a game that was essentially done already. Mm-hmm. So that's one problem. Oh, the other problem is do, how much access to the original project do they actually have? Like, is it already a compiled game one, or do they have like the open project folder? Because uh, a lot of games are like that, right? Like, you have the executable, which is already encrypted, so you have no way of accessing the inner code at that point. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, right. you might, but there may be loss of data, right? Mm-hmm. 
because it's not nearly as open as it should be or could be when you're trying to optimize it for new hardware. Um, it's why Kingdom Hearts was rebuilt from scratch for the HD re-releases, right? Um, I don't know if you guys ever read or wow, that sounds, um, saw that anything so about painful. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Square Enix apparently does a shit job of like archiving uh, previous projects mm-hmm. that they apparently lost all of the assets and raw code of Kingdom Hearts. So when they had to port it to, I, I don't know if it was, uh, if they had to, when they had to remaster it for PS3, they essentially had to build it from scratch. You, you yeah. think they'd learn from their like Squaresoft days about these things? I mean, I think at that time, like they, before the merger was, they, didn't, they wouldn't even realize that they might have to go back to those old games. Like, I don't you know, think they ever thought about having to go back into the well for these games. Yeah. And uh, to answer your question on like their re-releases, Alan, um, you know how um, the recent micro-retro consoles like the PS1 Classic yeah. uh, and the Sega Genesis um, Mini, mm-hmm. um, you know how someone actually just cracked those things open and they just realized the games inside them were actually just ROMs and you know yeah. emulators. It's it's basically that. Most of the classic re-releases are actually just um how you say um it's not that different from homebrew setups. They just copy it's, it's an extraction, game. yeah. yeah it's exactly. an extraction of their old game and they create the software that emulates a console mm. and that's yeah. how most retro games were made. Uh, or re-released. I think the um, same with Chrono Cross, like the remastered edition. It's technically just like an emulated game because they lost the source code for this. And you would notice that all of the old problems in performance from the PS1 were retained because they couldn't fix that. Yeah. So one-to-one replication because yeah. it's not so much of a recode um, or very, I mean, not even a touch-up of the code because yeah they just lift it and then they just reuse it yeah i mean yeah, um, code is the way it is like if you take out one line who knows what kind of mess you're gonna leave behind so yeah. i mean it's it's not just just taking it out it's just um yeah how much access do the devs actually have to the code of the game in the state that it's in already i mean given it's old right um, uh-huh. I don't know if they have the original code anymore. One, number two, yes, it's economics. Also, like, how much time and money do you really want to invest in this old ass game? You're not even sure will make that much money. Yeah. It's retreading an old title. Your market might be the people who are nostalgic for it, and um, maybe the very few people that might be curious that missed out on it the first time and might want to try it. Um, yeah. It's hard to bet on like a re-release making bank, you know. That is so true. naturally they would not want to blow significant amounts of money uh, working on these projects. Actually, yeah, for the most part, they make these HD re-releases as a measuring stick if making a sequel is worth it. Yeah. So they probably or, yeah making a down. sequel or like a proper port remake whatever yeah. i think probably a remake like what they did 
recently or maybe the upcoming game uh, Live Alive or Live yeah. Alive. Uh, something that is a Japan exclusive JRPG from Scoresoft. And then uh, I think thanks with the success of games like Octopath, Bravely Default, that classic RPGs are still a thing that they made an experiment that what if they try older, you know, cl- retro games that aren't available before here and give it a makeover. And then so far, the interest was really high with Live Alive. And, I heard yeah. I heard the story there was um Square Enix was super like in love with HD 2D. Oh yeah, uh, that, after that Triangle well. Strategy after um Octopath Traveler where they asked where they were internally asking like what other project can we apply this technology to? And the people behind the technology of HD 2D were very much in love with Live Alive. So it was them actually, like no. these people. Like it was the devs that actually suggested Live Alive. It's like, why not take a chance on Live Alive? Square Enix is like, uh, sure, why not? I guess because yeah. yeah, um, I guess it's an untapped market because it's never been released in outside of Japan before. One, um, two, yeah, yeah, it's essentially a new IP, diba? Right? Yeah. And it's a different game experience as well. Like, I think they updated some parts there, and then I think they added more. I think there's like a bonus section there that was unreleased. I think would be the case yeah, simply because they just had to yeah. rebuild scratch. So I remember they also did this with Saga Frontier. Like, there's one unreleased chapter yeah. that they managed to include it in the remastered version, which is like a bonus or, I guess you know, a special edition, yeah. and. If you also notice that notice that Square Enix is on a roll with classic uh, retro games being re-released or remastered, so I guess they know that there's a market for this. I mean, they kind of shot like they kind of did a spray and pray with their retro game releases, like you know Brave Exvius and then War, uh, the 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 Final Fantasy Tactics thing on mobile. Oh yeah, and then they are bringing back some of the familiar franchise like. Having a tactical game, but now in yeah, modern strategy. With, yeah, that I strategy. actually heard. Um, sorry. Um, on the subject of Final Fantasy Tactics, um, there is an event, marketing event ongoing, like celebrating twenty-five years of Final Fantasy Tactics, and mm. there are rumors floating around that there are trademarks in place already. Oh yeah. For, uh, no, Final don't Fantasy. tell me this. No, mastered, no, right? no, 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 no. That's no. what I heard. Like. A lot of like even like this uh, this uh, leak from Nvidia. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Thing, that like tactics exactly. and Final Fantasy Nine as a remake. Not sh- not sure if it's correct, but oh boy, tactics. Probably oh, we'll see, we'll hear more of this on Tokyo Game Show on September. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, I think that's the one of the good time is in danger. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess. Even with game publishers, they know there's an appeal with pl- retro games. I mean, not just game publishers. Like, uh, when ta- so Nintendo knows about it. Like, yeah. Square Enix has proven it. And they're not the only ones who is lis- listening in on it. Like, yeah. Some some other people have their ears on the floor. Even, like, like third parties, like uh, certain brands or companies who are banking on emulation. Yeah. Although yeah. it's like, you know, uh, it's a gray area in ter- terms of, you know, legalities. But, you know, there's still an interest. I mean, it yeah. exists. <laughs> it exists. So, like, circling back to, like, the matter of, yeah, 
um, hardware, right? Uh, it's probably not like some efforts are probably not like the optimal platform to play some of these because I don't know the hardware can't handle it or it just was poorly put together. Yeah. So it has been like I I went on this bender like sometime last year of researching like the perfect platform I could play my retro games on. And this is how I came upon like this micro community of um homebrewed retro consoles. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I remember hearing those. you like uh tinkering with their what is it? Uh, Raspberry Pi back then? Yeah. Uh some people even use Raspberry Pis as for their emulation stations. Yeah, I did that. Uh I did that like I wanted this uh I have a Raspberry three uh, B plus or two B plus I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we're a generation. <laughs> I think we're a generation four. Whatever mine was was like a generation previous. Um, yes, I homebrew. It's it's a Raspberry Pi is a tiny ass computer basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you. Um, I was able to load an application. That basically, has like multiple emulators on it. Like whatever retro. Console, whatever old console you can think of, right? Super NES, PlayStation, um, Genesis, Game Boy, whatever. It, it, the works. Um, I got it working. I enjoyed it for a little bit. Uh, and eventually I kind of fell out of like the idea of having this dedicated console that plays like old games. Like mm. plugged into my TV. Oh. Because like I said... Um, these old games are those things I just want to do on my downtime, like while commuting and so on. So I then rebuilt this Raspberry Pi to be portable. <laughs> <laughs> you custom built these things? Uh, yeah, because a Raspberry Pi is just this motherboard. Yeah, right? it's motherboard. Then your, yeah, your hard what drive. What did they mention? Just to give me an idea. Like, uh, about the size of a credit card. Yeah. Damn, okay. Um, and then your cakes get a little thicker, like, um, you could 3D print your own case, by the way. Yeah. And then, yeah, you could, you actually do have access to things like monitors that are around the same size as that. Mm -hmm. And maybe, I don't know, you just plug in a plug it into a power bank that's powerful enough. It's not going to be as compact as a PSP, for example, it's probably going to be more impractical to carry around but for the purposes of saying i did it i did it but (laughs) in the end um it just it it was it was not nice to hold i mean there are builds of this where you can put it into a retro game boy shell actually i just didn't buy that that's i should have saved myself that's yeah. It, it it actually is. I mean, it, yes, it's a it's a Game Boy shell, and the Raspberry Pi is inside. It's it's pretty nice. Um, I just eventually fell out of favor with the Raspberry Pi because I realized I wanted to play more powerful stuff on it. It, I think I got it to emulate as far as PlayStation One, but I had audio 
synchronization issues. I had oh, that's gonna hurt. Game yeah. issues. like audio popping. Yeah, it was not as powerful as I wanted it to be already. So mm. after that, I just abandoned the Raspberry Pi project. I don't know how good current Raspberry Pis are at this point. Maybe there's something out there actually powerful at this point. But I, after that, I, I didn't want to try it anymore. Um, I wanted something purpose built out of the box after yeah. that pretty much there's like a beef up version now and especially some third-party companies are now venturing with handheld emulation because there's really an appeal for this like Wait, so some companies are making straight up like a unit a handheld unit yeah. immediately not they're, just a motherboard yeah they're doing like actual you know the uh designing their own specs for their devices. Like, usually some people would prefer going for uh, same as, uh, same specifications with a Raspberry, but some went beyond, like, going with smartphone specs. Oh, wow. Like, adding more RAM and then adding Wi-Fi capabilities or maybe Bluetooth. Like, you could do wireless uh, multiplayer. You have a smartphone-level retro console? Yeah. Well, in some yeah. companies, yeah. Uh yeah, so yeah, I, after after the Raspberry Pi project, I came upon like communities, um, YouTube videos of like hobbyists developing their homemade uh retro consoles. There are a number of them. There are a lot of them. Um, but I think it was uh twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen, might have been twenty eighteen, uh where. We started seeing this hobby, um, the development of retro uh, portable game consoles, uh, reach like commercial scale. Like I think one of the earliest progenitors would be like the RG three hundred and fifty by the Anbernic. Uh, Anbernic. So most of these consoles come out of China. Okay. okay. Um, and obviously, uh, considering the, the the legal issues, they just give the hardware, nothing else. Yeah, I think in terms of like emulation, it's fine. But as long as you don't have any ROMs that are illegally, you know, acquired, you're still safe. In All right. Some of these devices did come with ROMs. Uh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is why it uh, it boomed in China largely because yeah. China's mm-hmm. very whatever about intellectual property yeah, i mean quality. they can copy popular mobile games and then still you know get away from it yeah <laughs> so i'm not mentioning any games <laughs> so yeah it was around 2018 2019 um like one or two years before the pandemic yeah where some companies started making like commercial quantities of oh yeah um, I remember that. yeah so yeah, I got one of the earlier ones. It was, uh, or one of the earlier ones to really pop off, which was the RG three fifty. Oh yeah, from uh, Arnbernick. Arnbernick. Yeah. So it it was nice. I loved it. Um, the form factor, like, it was probably a little smaller than a three DS, right? So the three DS is a clamshell. This is just you know half of that, and then the total width of it, I suppose, the length of it is slightly, you know, less wa- wide than the 
uh, 3DS. So it's nice and portable. Mm. It's very capable of handling games. You could put in your ROMs into an SD card. Um, and you could load up a lot of games in there. Like I had like uh, my favorites there. I'm not that uh, that I had copies of. Right. Um, my Chrono Triggers, my right. Sunset Riders, yeah. my Metal Warriors, um, my Suikoden 1 and 2s. And oh, they ran, two. Oh, no. they <laughs> ran beautifully on these platforms. I enjoyed them. Uh, yeah. I was able to finish a playthrough of Suikoden 1 and 2 and Chrono Trigger there. Nice. Um, very enjoyable. Um, I think I only got tired of that device when I really wanted to push it harder. So I wanted to play Buster Groove on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I noticed and, a problem there. I tried it as well. Like, Buster Groove is an infamous title to try to emulate. Like yeah. this, this is my white whale. This has been my my, my white whale since <laughs> really? I learned about emulation. Yeah, because <laughs> if you try to play Buster Groove on, like, let's say, a jailbroken PSP, um, the audio and the video will never sync. Oh, yep. that hurts. And then uh, I I think the problem with the emulated Buster Groove on the ret- uh, on this retro handheld is the timing. Like, yeah, yeah, it's the audio and video syncing. Yeah. Uh, there have been extensive discussions about that. Um, basically, uh, the the audio and the video rendering of Buster Groove. Um, is very much designed uh, with the processor of the PS1 specifically. Yeah. Its ability, its internal clock, all of that. It was basically designed for that. Um, you would have to use a specific render um, with your emulator to pull it off, like the Vulkan renderer. I've managed to pull it off on PC, finally, uh, a few years back. But yeah, before that, it was... Nobody knew how to work, make it yeah. work before. And it's hard. A, I find this a little funny because I, I didn't think I'd find like a community that sounds like a group of archaeologists trying to argue how to put together a dinosaur. I mean, like <laughs> this is how this is how you're gonna do Buster Group. I mean, you no. would you would be yeah. you would you would be surprised you would that, be surprised that there's a lot of communities in retros like doing fan translations from the top. Like if if you see a game that's not available before in America. And there's like a certain interest. These certain these uh, specific groups would try oh. their best to translate it. I've I've seen a part of it. I, I mean, I, I tried to play Tales of Destiny in yeah. English once. And also, there are some groups that are going to fix the game, like making it like similar to the Japanese version. Like, uh, I think there's a lot of differences in the versions for Final Fantasy games on the SN- on the Super NES. Oh, yeah. Um, what? Um, I I have been on that. Like recently, or I have been reading about that. I want to play Final Fantasy Tactics, for example. Like, mm-hmm. but I want, uh, yeah. Oh, so man. speaking of like the RG three fifty, it's not, um, it's not powerful enough to play PSP, for example. Yeah. Now, War of the Lions, to me, had like the best version of the script of Final yeah. Fantasy Tactics, right? It was War of the Lions is the probably the uh, the best version of Final Fantasy Tactics right now. Oh, uh, wait. Some reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to argue against that. 
there <laughs> is a problem with War of the Lions, and that is frame rates turn to shit whenever you try to cast magic. I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The so, frame rates for some reason drop when you're casting magic, and for some reason, except the PS1 version, like uh, the screams are always off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if the mobile version was also the same uh, so, for the iOS. That's the thing. Um, on your subject, Chad, like on mm-hmm. patching, uh, patching, fan translations, and all of that, there is actually a Final Fantasy Tactics modding community. Yeah. Um, and there has been a mod where the script of War of the Lions, uh, they used that. In, PS1. was applied into the PS1 yeah. version. I think I, I've read that uh, story. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> there have amazing. also been fan patches of the animation problem of the PSP version. Wow. Yeah. Like, I think during the old times, like, there's no way to do a major patch unless you re-release another version of the game. So, I think that's a good thing with retro communities. Yeah, like, that's what made me stop playing it on the PSP. <laughs> yeah, Potion. Potion takes 10,000 years to finish. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's, it's quality of life um, fixes like that in the retro community. That's actually interesting. Yep. I mean, um, there's a lot of discussion about the legalities of these. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and m- definitely a lot more conversations to be had on whether or not it's ethical. Uh, honestly, I'm not really qualified. It's hard to do an argument here in terms of ethics. Yeah. um, So I'm speaking purely as someone who enjoys consuming the medium. Yeah. I guess, um, regardless of how that works. I mean, I will do my best to, of course, um, support the creators legally, financially, but... um, you know, um, there are limitations to what they are able to provide, and I would like to explore my options. Yeah, actually, and I think that's a good thing that we need to discuss, like how the, like for example, for the communities to do for certain games, but then there are also the communities or even third-party companies that are doing these retro, uh, retro handheld consoles, like with the RJ three fifty, right? And then a lot of other companies are popping up. Like one example that I first got into an introduction to this is uh, BitBoy with their uh, BitBoy Pocket Go 2, which is, is similar. That, is that the one I played Elden Ring on? No, no not yet. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, this one is like a contender with the RJ250. And the, although it has issues as well, like its operating system or probably its its firmware is really bare bone that you might compare this as with other cheap China, you know. Was, fam- it, was it also Linux based system like RG three fifty? This one, uh, for the BitBoy, not. It's I think it's not. Uh, it's more of a I think their own version because it's very bare bone. You have limitations on customizing functions like. Uh, they have pre-installed games, but you can't edit, okay. modify that from that spe- specific uh, memory card. You need to have a different slot for your uh, games. 
Is this is this the kind of console where you have to open it because there's another SD card inside that yeah. has like more? Ah, uh, yeah, that does sound like the RG three fifty, and I suspect it's also Linux based system. Ah, uh, yes, probably uh, the early releases for this for uh, yeah. firmware. Um, I mean, yeah. So if it was a cont- contemporary of the three fifty, then I assume it's more or less the same software. Um, probably. I mean, yeah, it was fun. I, I I liked it. I loved it. Um, it's nice for whenever I want to carry something that's not as large as the switch. Yeah, you know, it's like it's it fits in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually fits in your pocket. I, I tried doing that uh, going out before, uh, going cafes, and then just carrying the BitBoy before uh-huh. uh, before the pandemic, like in 2019. I think <clears throat> I purchased this uh, online. And then I think the site is from Singapore, so it took me like a week just to receive it on mail, post mail, by the way. And thank goodness it doesn't left doesn't have any damage on the packaging because oh, yeah. there's no added padding or any but added added packaging on the item. Just, so it was just the, a tiny just box. The, the box, a tiny box, another box just for the case, uh, like just for the delivery against the, the elements, mail. yeah. Against the possible, and you GPS can see scratches press. and dirt on the box, so you know where it came from. Like how many <laughs> ships has this been traveling to? Wow, I guess that's a testament to its sturdiness. Yeah, and then surprise when I go with the Quezon City Post Office, like it's still intact. It's that's actually that's actually amazing because I uh, I think like the plastic shell of the RG three fifty was not that sturdy yeah and then i think they like released, i don't know the plastic right? just felt very flimsy the back yeah. panel at least although for like, the, the of it, yeah for the bit boy they had a different design and the only problem i have with the bit boy at that time is the analog sticks it's it's more of a uh similar with the psp which is a headache to use unlike with the rg350 it's more of a analog like with the vita yeah, yeah, the 350 had like tiny analog sticks. That was nice. Yeah. Um, that's. Yeah, I think in the end, it's just. I managed to play through the content that I wanted to play through. And yeah. I realized there were some titles I wanted to revisit that I could not with this hardware. So I moved on. Like, I wanted to find something more powerful. So leaving behind the PS1 generation... No, actually, I could not leave behind the PS1 generation. Um, <laughs> I Like I said, I want to revisit Vagrant Story. Um, actually, yeah. The RG350 could only just barely play that. I want to finish Air Geese's quest mode, the RG350. Oh, yeah. Cannot- that can, you can finish that? Man. <laughs> if you can I, finish I, it. I actually don't know. I, I don't know. I've I've never... I haven't it. seen someone finish this, but maybe someone will so, some, soon. I but just yeah. don't have the hardware, save an actual PC oh, yeah. to, to well, do that. Speaking of uh, hardware and upgrade, um, I think just early uh, last year, actually, I managed to... Or no, actually, this year, early this year, I managed to land a, a unit of the Retroid Pocket Two plus, which is uh, the really big upgrade for the Retroid Pocket Two, which yeah. uh, had a lot of issues in terms of performance when it was released, 
and the plus version was a big improvement like a lot of emulators are working really well now and then uh, a lot of quality improvements especially with the screen and finally out of the box it's a touch screen now yeah it's a touch screen it's a big surprise like you can actually play ds games with yeah actually i have a question about that what color do you get i have because i have purple (laughs) i got the purple Uh, i got the yellow one nice Okay. I got the yellow and black one. I um, think the, the issue with the Retroid is if you purchase like the colored versions on the buttons, like the Super NES versions, mm-hmm. the painting was a bit thick that you it would notice that it's scraping it's on the shell. Yeah, on the shell. Ah, shoot. Well, and it would have chances like it would jam the button. Oh, that, because okay, of the, the paint job. That is a problem. But yeah, I love I love my Retroid. Uh, I haven't had the chance to really dive into. Yeah the software much lately yeah i tried experimenting and here's the fun part it's an android base but you could add the what this uh what's this uh retro arc you could install retro arc here and then you could modify which particular emulator would you use for certain game uh, for certain consoles so if you feel this certain uh emulator isn't working well you could swap with a different one yeah Actually, no. Um, you know what else really excited me about the Retroid Pocket? Like, I, I mean, I'm gonna get into like other titles, but there's one thing about the Retroid that really excited me because it's Android based. I could actually install Steam Link on it. Oh yeah, actually, that's when Alan managed yeah, to play Elden Ring on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. What I don't like is, of course, the aspect ratio was not made yeah. for you know, modern displays. That's the problem with the PSP game. Like, there's like, you know, uh, the aspect ratio, you can't stretch it. Yeah. And it's like you're watching a movie because there's like a... Oh, there's the black bars? <laughs> black bars. Okay, okay. But it's still readable. Like, I'm playing Year 7 there and have no issues when reading the text. And it's it plays really smooth. I have, there's not it, much issue with I mean, some games. I mean, the resolution of the screen is high enough. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it's, I mean, good. it's good. It. You can pull it off because, like, the console isn't actually doing the heavy lifting. It's actually your PC, since you're only streaming it for your PC. Oh. But yes, um, it is in fact still a very powerful um, portable console. The fact yeah. that uh, it can stream is actually a big deal. Yeah, I might try I, experimenting with FF FF14 for just for the lows. Yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. Although, yeah, um, on its own merits, like not streaming from any other device, it's actually plenty capable on its own it yeah. can in oh, fact you can run android games actually can well also yeah in- run, run android man um i did like just for the giggles install like uh wild drift on here and work just fine yeah <laughs> yo that sounds interesting and you could map the touch screen so map that's the a good thing into the controller it's just it wasn't ideal of course because like with skills buttons don't work because you can't aim uh, but it was an interesting experiment. Um, beyond that, though, really, um, it, my goal is still to make it run Vagrant Story, make it run Airgeese. I still haven't found the right settings to make it run Airgeese, but I would like to believe this is capable of doing that. Um, what was even more surprising for me, however, was that it can play some PSP titles, and it can play Dreamcast, so I can finally play MVC2 on this thing. Nice. Like a good copy of MVC two, I mean. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
there is actually an Android based um, PS2 emulator out already. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, uh, I think and the Odin, I think that's what it's called. Ether. Ether. Uh, the Ether. There's Ether. one uh, being crowdfunded. I think the IN something Odin, where you could run even PS3 games. Oh, the the console Odin console yeah the Odin console like it's around three hundred bucks if I remember yeah I think that's like in the premium line already like the Ionios the Odins yeah and then there's the Loki version which is I think yeah. it's a uh, Android base or Linux base that is a light version where you could play up to the PS2 games that is actually appealing to me it's just I can't bring myself to put up money like that. Yeah, I think I'm fine with my retro, uh, with my Retroid Pocket Two Plus. Like, like it's eventually, yeah, I I suppose if that's that's the other point of discussion. I suppose, like it is appealing to me to have a console like this because it's cheap. I it's like a hundred dollars tops, right? Uh, I I forget how much a Retroid Pocket is, but like. It's not over two hundred dollars that much. I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good one, and I think the only catch here is some of the good brands are only available abroad, so you have to purchase it online and then have to, you know, uh, deliver it here with shipping. Um, Retroid Pocket did a good job of shipping their goods. Yeah, actually, uh, it was I think good. they just when I ordered, they just had a supply problem. It took me a while to get mine. Uh. Because when it first came out, there were a lot of orders for it. So it yeah, took a like while. a surge of orders, and I think it took me like two and a half weeks before I got my copy. Like yeah, they just drop into my home, oh. <laughs> and just you know, delivered like by DHL. I'm normally not bothered until until the third week, but apparently I have a very yeah. low standard for delivery. Unless you check your tracker, and then it stops after the customs, then it means it could be at your post office danger. or in <laughs> danger. Like ah, uh, they hold it on the customs, which is number one problem. Yeah, but yeah, like price point is definitely a big deal for me. If I didn't really actually care, I would probably have an INEO or an Odin, definitely. Um, but yeah, the price point absolutely just still puts me off. Like honestly, my white whale at this point, my my goal is to have like. A hundred dollar micro console that can run PS2. Yeah, because I um, would like PS2 because I never finished Wild Arms Five. I want to. <laughs> yeah, same. Or I think in my case, I'll just in in the meantime, I'll just play it on the PC or the PS2. Like what I'm planning to do with Tales of Destiny Director's Cut, the remake for Tales of Destiny, and yeah. finally it has an English translation now. So I'm pretty yeah, stoked. I want it. I do want to play like the Tales of Destiny remake and then the sequel to that. Oh yeah, Tales this... of Destiny two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah. not the like the the shot the story the of the kid, story right? of Stan and Ruthie's child now. Man, I remember yeah. back in like college, a friend emulated that game, uh, and we weren't we went four players. We were comboing all day. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think... do want to revisit that definitely. Yeah. Actually, um, mm-hmm. what else? Yeah, till um Wild Arms Alter Code F. Yeah, I need to catch up with the Wild Arms. But yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, because right now the Retroid Pocket Two Plus can 
No, um, audio stutters really bad. Frame rate is absolute garbage. Yeah, I for think. the for the PS2, right? Yeah, if you can tweak it a little bit, I think it might be manageable. Some, yeah. but some games, but uh, either you wait for an update on the firmware, or maybe some. I guess, uh, yeah, that's the only thing you could see uh, an upgrade for their firmware to improve some of the issues on the PS2 emulation, but it could be a long wait, so there's a chance that they just release an upgraded version instead. Yeah, so that is what kind of disappointed me with the Retroid Pocket. Like, I was hoping, well, it wasn't always their intention, but like, I was watching this video where this guy. Uh, Taki Udon did say like, oh, it this wasn't planned by developers of the Retroid, but it can actually play a bit of PS2. And that got me hopeful because like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, modern communities. Yeah, someday. Modern. Someday. Yeah, because like Wild Arms isn't like Final Fantasy X. I'm not hoping to play Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy XII on this thing. Yeah. I just want to finish Wild Arms. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's not the most graphically demanding thing. I just want to, you know, put that out there. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm sad that it can't. And in the end, you know what my current retro gaming console is? Mm-hmm. What is it? Like it is no longer the Retroid. Although I I I will work on the Retroid again later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But right now, you know what my console of choices was it it's my fucking google pixel 6 (laughs) yeah it still works as an emulation machine like Uh, connected to my 8-bit though that's it (laughs) yeah it can work it can actually run those it can run ps2 yeah actually before we end this program i think we could ask like can we recommend this to alan if he's into, for example, if he wants to try out some of the backlogs on older, you know, classic uh, retro. Like my, the kind of plays out of the Enders too. <laughs> God damn it, Alan. Yeah. yeah, if Alan's whole thing is Zone of the Enders too, then he may have to look at the more premium. Yeah, the more uh, expensive ones. In circulation, like maybe an Ioneo could handle yeah. hand that. Like I actually have one of... Uh, uh, one of my guild, my FC members in Final Fantasy fourteen did actually get his hands on an Aya Neo, I think. Mm-hmm. Was Aya Neo the Windows-based one? I think so. I think there are some more selling it right now in, in the Philippines. Like, uh, How much I, is it there now? It's pretty much expensive. <laughs> like, I, like, I know it's in, like, in the wheelhouse of like 14,000 pesos. Wow, yeah. And I, well I seen some that are like 30 to 40. Like other... Steam Deck like uh, devices now. Yeah, that's just not. It's not. I'm not there yet. Yeah, not practical at the moment. It's you know, if I'm gonna put out money like that, I would just go for a Steam Deck. Yeah, maybe. Legit, Um, if it's uh, if it's like uh, retro, like not not uh, not Devil May Cry level stuff. uh, I'm actually, if something can play Final Fantasy Tactics perfectly. (laughs) <laughs> right, that that sounds attractive to me. Final Fantasy Tactics, Brave Fence, Musashi. One or PSP. Uh, one. <laughs> okay, I mean that's fairly easy to get. It's fairly easy to get something like that for a hundred dollars or less. Hundred. So that's, the, that's still a hundred dollars, man. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean uh, that optimal is, but, you know, um, 
It's a hundred dollars, sure. It's it's nothing to sneeze at, oh. but it's not like a thousand dollars, right? It's not okay. Okay. That in that in VFX two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I might mean, try VFX two on uh, Retroid. Yeah. Let's try it. it so, yeah. I I've had, I don't know I don't know a better Macross game, honestly. Anyway. Oh, we'll try finding more. There's a lot of Macross games in the PS One, like four or three. Yeah, I try. I tried Battlecry. You 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 got that's, me to that's try that's a it. PS Two though. That was terrible. <laughs> well, it's an early, you know, American. I uh, it's a Robotech game, by the way. Oh yeah. So wait, there was a PS Two Robotech game. That was yeah, awful. Battlecry. Battlecry. Yeah, that was um, awful. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it for our episode on you know our Retroid games. So. Oh, I, I want to keep talking about this. Like, there are so many consoles. Yeah, maybe we'll do a part two for oh, this. Because we two. need to talk about, like, uh, the I guess the ethics code on emulation, like, or maybe how you would modify or even, you know, the patch approach on some games that you improvise or maybe improve the quality of life or etc. A lot of things we need to talk about maybe in the next... Uh, I mean, the next this discussion be, for this. This might, this might be the next step in gaming because uh, mm-hmm. not the not the recent issues by like Ubisoft and the digital ownership of games, which is apparently a myth. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another dis- good discussion for retro uh, retro games because like game preservations. Yeah, really. Digital really ownership. Honestly. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I I just thought of a three letter word. <laughs> oh no! Let's <laughs> not go there. Yeah, it, all right. Yeah. It also means like a four-letter word, right? Like <laughs> the, the definition of this three-letter word. But we don't want to talk about that because that's not our interest. <laughs> anyway, no. so yeah, uh, thank you everyone for listening to RF Talk, and hope you enjoy our discussion about retro retro games. And don't worry, we'll be discussing more in the future because yeah, there's this is like a big subject yeah, unexpectedly. A lot of stuff we need to discuss here, but we're just talking about the, the surface level. So just stay tuned to our episodes or more of the discussions. And of course, you could tune in to our website for more gaming goodness straight from the Abbott Gamers on rimrufas.com. And you could also follow our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have our YouTube channel for some of our game reviews. And other unboxing and other, you know, yeah, we're coming up coverage because we're, we're with stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk about stuff, but we're also going to do more event coverage as more events are popping in this year. And we also do our RF Talk discussion on Spotify. So be sure to tune in on Spotify and search for RF Talk. And of course, uh, thanks to Rai, or our Japanese correspondent, <laughs> our friendly Japan, our friendly Japan correspondent, who's now. You know, back back in podcasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Right. Yes. So, guys, thanks for listening in, and we'll see you again next time. See ya, boys, girls. Adios. Bye. Yes. Bye. Bye.